I asked myself a question this week that I, um, I don't know, I guess maybe it's come to me before, but uh, here's the question. What would I have, what would I possess and own, what would I have if I didn't know what everybody else had? Or what would I want if I didn't know what everybody else already had? Interesting question. And, and, you know, and then I start to think, well, what is it that I would have saved, maybe, if I was not aware of everything else that is out there? I'm a Costco shopper. You get it in the email. You get it in the mail. And you peruse through and you go, oh, that's interesting. Hmm. And then deep in the recesses of your heart, uh, my heart, I'm like, well, what, what would I give away if, what would I give away to those who had less than I had if I didn't know what those who had more than I had had? And, I mean, it's a, it's a dangerous kind of question. I, I mean, it's, it's uh, my kind of question, I guess. But there's um, a problem. And this is the problem. I know too much. I know too much about what others have that I don't have. And the problem with that is that it's, Something that makes me dangerously discontent because you have these longings and, and there's this idea that, you know, if I had what other people had, then I would be a happier person. And, and so this dangerous discontentment can easily lead to some more financial bondage or ruin in my life. And it feeds and grows an appetite that is never, ever really satisfied. Appetites are like that, right? If you're hungry, you feed your appetite, and then you go back to the refrigerator, like, oh yeah, I need something else, that kind of thing. Appetites sort of, they can never be contented. And we live in a culture that is sort of that way. And so these are just questions that I've sort of been asking this week in my own life. If, if I, what would I really have if I didn't know what other people had? And so I think I need counseling. <laughs> and I could probably make an appointment for most of you, too. That's the world that we live in. We're returning to a series today on guardrails. And uh, if you've been here before uh, in these last few weeks, except last week when we had global awareness, you're aware that uh, guardrails can be defined this way, that guardrails are systems designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous and off-limit areas. And we said that there's the safety zone and there's the danger zone. But when you build guardrails, you put them inside the safety zone so you don't end up in the danger zone, right? Guardrails help guide and protect. They direct us. 
They're designed to minimize damage. If you hit a guardrail, it's going to cause damage, but not like the damage that's going to happen when you go over the cliff, right? But it's not highways alone that need guardrails. We need guardrails. And so we've talked about personal guardrails in some different areas of our life. And a guardrail is a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. And so when you see the guardrail there, you're like, well, I, I, oh, wow, there's the guard. I need to stay a little bit away from that. Oh, there's another guardrail. I need to stay away from that. So it sort of guides and protects you from these danger zones. But in a personal sense, it's trying to get your conscience to dial into, oh, I don't need to go there. I, I don't need that. Or I, I need to stay away from that type of action in a relationship, whatever it may be. And so we've been talking about personal guardrails, whether they're in the area of, of our relationships, our morals, all right, uh, our professional guide rails, some guardrails that um, are in marriage, whatever it may be. And today we're going to be looking at financial guardrails, but this guardrail aspect is a point to light up our conscience before we hurt ourselves, and we hurt others. Now, I want to say just a couple things before we start moving along. What we're talking about today um, is going to be different for Christians and those of you who may be not Christians. You're just checking God out kind of deal. And I do not want what I'm saying today to, uh, in any way, see like I'm imposing um, thoughts or attitudes or a will upon those who are not Christ followers. You know, your own life, what God's called, I mean, what you feel led to do, whatever it may, may be, that's fine. But for those who are Christians, we have chosen to be Christ followers. And so what we're talking about today is something um, that would be in the category, of, well, what does Jesus say? I think I should follow what Jesus says. And if you're not a Christian, then I don't know. I mean, other religions, whatever. Be it, I always think your mind, or you, you should, you should want to know. You should be curious about what Jesus says about things, like what we're talking about today. So sit back and relax. Just take it in and see what kind of uh, awareness in our conscious mind that God's Spirit may speak to us about related to the guardrails that we're going to be talking on. A few weeks ago, I had um, talked about the whole guardrail of sexual morality, and uh, that's always a hard one to talk about, and what does uh, the scriptures say about it? And part of the reason uh, is because in our culture, uh, people think that the church is uh, against uh, sexuality, and we said, no, 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 God created sex. And so a Christ follower should be all in with what God meant for that to be. Remember, there was a time I said that the, uh, God, uh, he created sex. There was a time where there was no sex, and he was maybe in heaven. He says, hey, I got a great idea. And the angel says, what is it? And he said, no, you won't understand. And then he, he just created sexuality, man. And he has plans and intents for it. That sexuality needs to stay within certain guardrails for us to experience it as God intended. And 
the same matter, you know, if you were to talk to culture, they would say two things um, related to this financial guardrails things as we talk about it, is that the church is against sex and the church just wants my money. Those were two things that are just out there. Maybe you carry those with you. Well, God's not against sex. He created sex. And the church doesn't want your money. We don't want your money. But if we are Christ followers and adhering to God's commands, there is something we want for you concerning this subject of money. If you were to um, go into the deep um, bowels of counseling, and a lot of times at churches, that kind of thing, if people come in with their deepest, darkest challenges, it's going to be in these two areas. Somewhere it's going to emerge that something has to do with sex and something has to do with money. But you know what two areas of the New Testament spoken about that are most ignored in churches? These two areas. Sexuality relates to deep, rich relationships as God intended them to be in intimacy and the whole subject of money and possessions. And God is not out to, like, rattle your cage. I'm not here to rattle your cage. God will rattle your cage as you desire to see the guardrails in your life placed so that you stay away from danger and you stay not only in the safety zone, but you're able to blow down that highway with a lot of freedom. And so this is what Jesus says. Let's look at it. In Matthew 6, 24. Matthew 6, 24, he says this. No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Now, what Jesus is getting at here, and you need to understand this, is that the guardrail we're going to be talking about in financial guardrails today is not, you know, like how do you, you know, get out of debt or deal with bankruptcy, those kinds of things. We're going to go after something specific that Jesus went after. And when he went after this, he was going to the heart of the matter. And so it's critical for us as Christ followers or those who are curious about what Jesus says to understand the heart of the matter related to the money talk. All right? Money matters because the heart matters. And Jesus says that no one can serve two masters. Now you may say, well, that sort of thing. I don't know that I serve any master, let alone two masters. I'm sort of the pilot of my own life. I'm fine. What do you mean? But what Jesus is doing here is he's sort of luring people in. He's getting them to think a little bit. And this word... Um, goes on to say this, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. The other, love, devoted, despise. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm dialed in and, and, and is this really pertaining to me? Well, the word for master is the Greek word kurios. It means one who is in charge by virtue of possession or ownership. So, we think in terms of master like maybe boss. But the New Testament is saying the master is that which owns or possesses you. And Jesus says you can't have two owners 
who possess you. He's saying you need to wake up to what the master aspect is going on in your life. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, isn't it interesting? Jesus says, why didn't he say something like, okay, you can't have two masters. You can't serve both God and Satan. Right? Why does he pick money? And it can be translated here just a stuff, material things. All right? You cannot be mastered, owned, and controlled by God and stuff. But we live in a culture that sort of encourages you to have more stuff, more possessions, more things. And there's nothing wrong with things. There's nothing wrong with possessions. But Jesus is going to the heart of the matter. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also, he says elsewhere. And this is the issue related to establishing financial guardrails in your life. Because, see, you can think you have everything together financially. You may have your house paid off, your cars paid off, your educational loans are in, you know, paid down, or, or maybe you've saved up for sending the kids away. You can have all that in order, but still be in financial ruin or headed towards a ditch. Because for Jesus, it had nothing to do with the amount of stuff or those. It had to do with the mastery issue in your life. And he says, you cannot serve both me, God says, and stuff. And it's a very subtle thing that happens in our culture and in our life. It was the issue of mastery. The mastery of our hearts. Jesus knew that the chief competitor for lordship was going to be things that we can not only possess or maybe experiences that we can take, but stuff that relates to me in my world or even my family. And he says, let's do a heart check with there. Do we have money or does money have us and i think related to the season and joe gave reference to it this is a great talk to have right now heading into the holidays yeah but it sounds like one of those killjoy talks carrie i i don't know really couldn't you wait until like after the holidays it's like no we live in a very what consumeristic culture And each of us have this challenge in our own life. Remember, two weeks ago, I talked about the test of freedom. And it was the second test, the test of authority that actually applies to these words that Jesus is saying. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, the Apostle Paul said, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. All things are lawful, it's permissible. Have at it, Take, but be careful. Watch out in your freedom, Christ follower, because in your freedom, you can easily come underneath the power of something else. And so Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. And we stated it this way a couple of weeks ago, our freedom to use anything perishes 
When the thing we use becomes our master and we become its slave. Have you thought through that in your own life the last couple of weeks? What is it that you were free to do and indulge in? But if you were realistic with yourself, there's subtleness in it. And you are now being mastered and controlled by it. You thought you were free, but you're really not free if you were honest to it. And it may be a relationship that's drug you in a direction, a particular activity that you do that's drug you in a, in a, in a route of bondage or a lack of freedom. And it may be something like money, the pursuit of things. God wants to bless, but if that's become the master pursuit, and you may not say that, but the reality is your whole life, your thinking week has to circle back around to, do I have enough wealth? Do I have enough. I remember once a few years ago, I had the opportunity to be on a cruise with uh, my wife and I did with another uh, set of few couples, and it was a blessing that was gifted to us. And we were on this cruise, and I remember sitting on the beach with these two other couples, and their conversation moved to the direction of how much money do you really need to retire on to feel like you'll be okay? Well, I could maybe give my opinion on that, but they started talking about several millions of dollars. And I thought, this is not a conversation that's going to be connecting with me. I had nothing wrong with it, but I thought, well, you circle around with that. And where, where does the money, the numbers come into play at with the whole mastery thing? And what Jesus wants for you and what I want for you is I want you to find freedom in everything of life. And the guardrails are there to protect you from being able to head into financial disaster. But that financial disaster may not have anything to do with the numbers themselves as it relates to this whole subject matter of money. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus said. Who is your master. This leads us to a word. It's a word that we don't see in the mirror. And the word has to do with what's happening in our lives. And I'll get to that in a second. But this word's not understood unless we realize that there's really two ways that we can fall into error. There's the consuming cliff of consume more, 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 upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. And then there's the wall of hoarding. And you can crash into that wall as well. And both of these sides of the road really have to do with this word, we're going to be talking about. But the consuming aspect is unbridled desire. I want more. The hoarding aspect is unbridled fear. But they really are together because consuming more and more, next big thing, whatever it is, upgrade, upgrade, is about spending now, and hoarding is about Spending later or needing it for later. All right? And so these two uh, areas are 
what happens to us if this area is not resolved or the appropriate type of guidelines are not taken into place. So, here's the word. Greed. Greed. Now, I know we usually think, oh, the miserly person that's always wanting more and more and more, that kind of thing. That's not me, really, to me. But we have to honestly see this, look into the mirror and say, could it be that this whole issue of money really does have something to do with greed? Whether it's the consuming mindset or the hoarding mindset, the desire, that appetite that's never satisfied, or the fear issues that come into play, like, well, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Oh, my gosh. And so we have to deal rightly with this word greed. And so we need to invite God in to this problem area. Because greed could be defined this way. Actually, I'm going to have you help me try to define it. Greed is the assumption, it's all for my blank. Greed is the assumption, it's all for my consumption. Did any of you get that right? It's the idea that what I have, this paycheck, is for me. This uh, retirement plan is for me. This... uh, uh, windfall that I received from, you know, maybe it was a, an investment, what is for me. Um, I won the lottery. I mean, that, well, that never happened, right? I didn't win the lottery. But you're like, I, I won the lottery, then, then this must be for me. So greed is this uh, assumption that it's all for my consumption, and that's sort of the focus and the direction we live, and so we're, we're laying out flat, we're heading into it, and then all of a sudden, problems hit. Maybe you lost a job, maybe a business partner took off on you, maybe uh, you made a bad investment, maybe you have... Uh, regrets of, oh, I shouldn't have bought that, and, and wow, what can I say it, sell it for half or whatever, I can get back for it. And, and all of a sudden, you find yourself in this financial turmoil, and then guess what we Christians do? We do something that you know, we hadn't done before. We, we pray. And why do we pray? Oh, God, help me out of this situation. How did I find myself here, right? And so what we're saying then is, God, I want to invite you into my mess, my financial challenge. And again, it may not be a challenge of debt. It may be some other kind of challenge, and you realize the greed issue is, is, is sort of got itself attached to you. So you're saying, God, help me with this. And so you invite God in to try to figure it out for you. And you pray and you pray and you tell somebody else to pray for you. But could it be? that it's a lot smarter if you think about it. If you're going to pray to invite God into your finances in the future when there's a problem, wouldn't it make sense to invite him into your finances now? Because he cares for you as much now as he does then. But again, it's one of those areas in our life that we try to, well, that's don't talk about that. I don't know if I can talk to God about that kind of thing. So we keep ourselves protected. 
Greed is an issue that It's almost, it really is, it's almost as uncomfortable for me to be up here talking about greed as is sex. And you know I was pretty uncomfortable about that a couple weeks ago, right? Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastics, you know, said nothing's new under sun. If there's, is basically exhorting that, you know, hey, if this life is all there is, then eat, drink, and be merry. And that's sort of the crucible that we're thrown into. If this life's all there is, then eat, drink, and be merry and have at it, then this talk isn't for any of us. But if somehow there's something more, not only than this life, that there's something even transcendent or something else that we're called to, then we have to be extremely careful about falling into this assumption that it's all for our consumption. And we're going to see this in the words of Jesus here in a second. But the subject matter of greed is usually one where we say, ah, that's not my problem. But we really have to deal with that. Hmm, what's realistic? What would I have if I didn't know what other people had? What would I want if I didn't know what other people had what is my next big purchase item and maybe you have different areas that you sort of fall prey to maybe it's clothing maybe it's electronics maybe it's cars and your mind just spends a lot of time there and god would say wait a second where where are you at in this subject matter and so we find ourselves in problems and we cry out to god help me I've got a problem. And what you're saying is, I chose the wrong master. Help me, Lord. And so Jesus addresses this. And we're going to address it here in one particular area. And I know it doesn't cover everything, but this is really the critical place to find yourself placing a guardrail. Are you mastered? Are you living as if there's no more to life than this life? What we need to do is reprioritize. That's the primary guardrail I just positioned to us today. And some of you are familiar with it. It's good to come back around to it. But some of us, maybe we never were taught the prioritization that needs to happen. When you are mastered by your money, this is the order in which life is lived. One, live. Two, save. And then three, give. Live, save, and give. And, and in this, number one is me. Number two, save is me. And number three is others live save give and jesus says you need to embrace my teaching and what you need to do is not be mastered by money but you need to flip it around 
There needs to be activity whereby you are mastering your money. And flip it around with one give, two save, and three live. I've not always practiced this in my life, but I was taught at a young age in some dimensions to be a very giving kind of person. Some of the mechanics of it weren't taught to me very well. I don't know that I taught my own children very well in this. But there's this aspect that if we are to live our life, we have to begin very young and walking our way through because it's hard to flip it around the older that we get. And so we need to establish this order in our life, and you will thank me for it somewhere in the future. Because this order doesn't have to do anything with the church getting your money. This has to do with Jesus having your heart. And giving, being number one, is a challenge because you're not putting me at the top. You're putting others. You're putting some endeavor of God, maybe, at the top. It's almost like we need to establish three jars, and you could do this with your kids. A give jar a save jar, and a live jar. And whenever you get money, when you get resources, whatever they may be, you put it in each of these three jars. And the first is the give jar. And Scripture teaches something called a tithe, which means 10 or 10%. It's a historical biblical standard, and, and there's always discussion on that. Jesus really was way beyond the whole tithe, 10% idea when he was talking about giving. But the tithe was the 10% that goes in the give jar. And then you save 10% in the save jar. And then guess what? You and I, we get 80% to live on. But there's something that's happening when you flip it around and you put it in that order. We had elder meeting this week and one of our board members I don't know how we got off on the subject. I guess we were dealing with 2020 budget, and it has nothing to do with this talk. It has to do with um, our discussions about how we were formed uh, in growing up. And I'm going to ask Dwayne Butler if he would come and share with us uh, a little bit of a story about him growing up as a young boy in his family and maybe how it related to these kinds of jars. Okay, I, I was very fortunate my parents came to the Lord when I was a toddler. And as I grew older, I was seven, eight years old, I got to where I could get an allowance for my little chores. I got 50 cents a week. I got, on Saturday night, a quarter, two dimes, and a nickel. With the express instructions that that nickel belonged to God, that that was my tithe to give on Sunday morning in Sunday school. I grew up that way all of my life. It forms a habit, so you get used to being able to do it. And the Lord has blessed me. I don't know whether you'll get into Malachi about God's challenge to you, but it is God has blessed me my entire life. I'm not super rich or anything, but I've never missed a meal. I've always paid my rent and mortgage on time. God blessed me with a beautiful wife, and uh, that's all. I live, I live a very good life. We have challenges, but God has blessed me, and it's something that that habit that my dad taught me 
uh, has carried me through all of my life. And I might say my dad practiced this jar business. Uh, he's 93 years old, and his only worries are what stock to buy with his dividends. So, <laughs> Thank you, Dwayne. Thanks, Dwayne, for that. So why would a parent teach a child to do that? To give, save, and then live? Is it because the parent, you know, I suppose the parent was a pastor because you want their money and church wants their money? No. You're wanting something for them. And what you're wanting for them is financial independence. Because when you don't put give at the top, and you put me at the top, or yourself at the top, then you're saying my assumption is for my consumption, there's this greed issue or this appetite that grows that can never, ever be satisfied. But when you put that at the top, then you're saying your life is not your own. Your life is in God's hands. And so the financial independence that comes from this is independence from a life independent from God. Because it makes you more dependent on God. Your life is not your own. And so what you want for your children is not to live a life where they become a consumer or become a hoarder or become someone who's always worried about their finances or, or where's this going to take us or am I going to leave and run? You know, you're going to trust God as you move forward with things, but you're flipping it and you're establishing God and others first in the equation. Mastering your money. Give first, save second, and live third. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's in Matthew 6, 24. Just a few verses later, then Jesus says this. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Now, eating that day, they didn't have refrigeration. So the only two things that didn't spoil were wine and grain. Everything else sort of had to be, you know, day-to-day, week-to-week kind of idea. And so it was realistic. Do not worry about what you're going to eat. We don't really think about that. We got the fast food places, something in our fridge, or, you know, got a snack in the car, whatever it may be. But they had worry about what they were going to eat. What shall we drink or what shall we wear? Clothes were very expensive during that time. All right? And so Jesus is saying, do not worry about these things in life. All your worries. Some of you have worries here today, and legitimately so. For the pagans run after all these. Now, the word pagan here is different than we use it uh, in our day today. Pagan referred to those who did not worship the one true God. So pagans were those who worshiped the gods. And you need to know this about the gods in that day. They would toy with, they would play with people. They were about themselves. They did not care about the people and the teaching of the gods. And so Jesus is saying, don't worry about these things. For the pagans, they run after all these things. Who, who, we got to take care of ourselves. We got to do this or that. But then he comes back and he says this. 
and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your heavenly Father knows what you need? Do I believe that? Am I living my life in that measure or not? But, he says then, but, so he's going to juxtapose it. This is the way the world is. The pagans that go after the gods. But, seek first. Put at the top. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, kingdom is is that tricky kind of word about God's reign or whatever. But it's this, you need to know this. With Jesus, he's saying God's kingdom is an other's first kingdom. His righteousness is what's right for other people. So if you're coming in to be a Christ follower, curious or whatever, you need to know this. Jesus is flipping it upside down, and he says, don't worry about all these things like the pagans do, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem in another time, and he began to talk to his disciples about things. They were real hesitant to go. And they didn't want to go because they thought he would end up getting arrested. And then they figured, oh, we might as well get arrested ourselves. And, and, and so they began to talk among themselves who was going to be like at the right hand and the other hand of Jesus because maybe Jesus would come. And when he got to Jerusalem this time, you know, he would rip off the robe. There'd be a big M that said Messiah. He would take over. So like, whoo, Jesus maybe could take over this time. I know we could get arrested, but maybe he's going to take over this time. And, and they're trying to dicker as to who can be number two, who can be number three. And Jesus hears this, this chatter behind him. So what does he do? He turns around and he probably says, hey, let's go over here and sit underneath the sycamore tree. He didn't really say that, but you're like, sit here and let me tell you something. And this is what he tells them. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. This is the way that the world operates. So those who are in control, they're in control. Those who aren't, they're not, Right? He says, this is the way that the world is. And he says, not so with you. Not so with you. You're my followers. It's going to be different. We're going to flip it upside down. The kingdom. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, we don't realize how radical this was, not only in that day, but in our day. Your life is not about you. Your life is about serving God and His purposes and serving others. Selflessness would solve everything in our world. Selflessness would solve everything. Welcome to the kingdom. 
And so, it comes right back in to this understanding. I want something extremely, extremely practical related to everyday life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, all these worries, the things that you need, that God knows that you need, they will be given to you as well. It's a simple financial guardrail. Give, save, live. For me, there's been many times when I wish the guardrail wasn't there. But I know that when I'm coming up close to a self-centered, what's-in-it-for-me kind of life, let me lay down the bucks for that because that would give me a lot of cool things. And I've not been faithful in the giving first. Then I realize that greed, the whole selfishness, kind of thing is moving me into danger zones and I want to stay not only in the safety zone I want to go down the highway free and fast and full protected by being in the center of God's will it's not about the money it's about the heart and whether you're a seven year old that's told you take the first nickel of that 50 cents and you give it to God or whether you take the first $500 of $5,000 that you're given. The tithe was a guideline. It's not a rigid standard. It's not a legalistic standard. But it's a guideline to reach and exceed as God leads. And your program today was, yeah, it was intentional. It was an offering envelope. We get to the end of the year, we always open up a year-end Christmas offering to extend some extra ministry opportunities for the church. This church has been very giving this last year to be able to be in this facility. That's one of the reasons it was hard for me to talk on this. It's like, wow, they've been sacrificial. Do they really God? It's like, yeah. Because every week, the pressing pressure of the world around us can get us to flip it, whether it's me first, others later. But we need to be actively giving to God, especially in a holiday season, especially at the end of the year, but especially because every day we need to realize that we live on the dependence of God and we're independent of the worries and the frets that the world lives by. Trust Him. Step out. Sometimes for me, you have in your program, you, you can set up electric, electronic giving you know one of the things i just had to do was like nope i'm just going to put it on there electronically it's pulled out every month regularly just like a car bill and you say that's sort of cold isn't it no because when it comes back through and i see it on my financials or whatever i'm like oh yeah god's first that went there it's not the cringe factor of oh golly there was that giving to god's kingdom first that's really going to be a hit this week it goes right back to this. Who's master? Who's Lord, Carrie? Establish something that keeps the priority of give, save, and live in order. Will you pray with me? Jesus, today, I thank you that in all of our worlds, 
that uh, are represented in this room, you have been faithful. Your provisions, the ability for us to not only sustain a livelihood, but to experience some of the joys of this life, we are grateful. We thank you. Lord, I'm thankful that this is a body that's given generously to you over the last year and a half, really, for us to be able to, to have a new place to be able to launch more of your kingdom's ministry. But Lord, I pray for us this morning that you would keep us free from the master, from the tyrant of materialism and money, and that we would find ourselves faithfully bringing joy and glory to you by giving to your purposes, giving to others, however you may lead us, Lord, but that we would be known as a people who are generous. Generous not because we've been hoarding, or generous not because we're consumers, but generous because we are a part of your kingdom, and you have called us to live selfless. In your name we pray. Amen.